You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. All righty. Hello. This is very new setup, as you guys are seeing, and uh, we're still getting used to some things. And um, yeah, I'm grateful to be here. Thank you guys for being able to make your way out here. Good morning. My name is Kenny, and I am a, who am I? I'm a student. I'm a minister. I'm a coach. I do a lot of things, but um, I'm, I'm more, I'm a servant of God. I'm grateful to be here this morning to share with you. Uh, I don't like stationary mics. I like moving around a lot, so this might be hard for me. You'll see a lot of hand motion, but um, I'm just really grateful that I can talk to you, and I see people in the back waving. That's great. It's great to be here in person, isn't it? Can we all just clap for that? Isn't it great to be here in person? I can hear real clapping, as opposed to on those, like, you know, worship sets on YouTube with Hillsong or whatever. But um, for those watching on YouTube, I want to say welcome. We're so grateful to have you. If this is your first time here, then we want to warmly welcome you to the Westside Church. And uh, take a moment for those of you who are members, just on your YouTube, there's this thing, this little swish arrow. Just share it with one person. Share the, the service. Have someone else look. It's so much easier to share now more than ever. All you have to do is send a link, text, to a random person. They may never respond. It's okay. They might watch it in private. You don't know. But you can share right now. Because today we're launching a new series called In All Things. And hopefully you guys get the text if you guys signed up. Do you guys get the text on the remind if you're in person? Did it come through? Did it come through? Yes. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start playing it. And I don't know if it's going to work. This is the first time that I'm doing this. But I hope it does. And I hope that you guys can see the slides soon. But we're starting a new series called In All Things. Can everyone say In All Things? Say it again. In All Things. And this comes from a scripture in Romans 8. Where the Apostle Paul says so eloquently, yet so clear. And we know, Romans 8 verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And if you read other translations like the NRSV, it says, We know that all things work together for good for those who love God. The ESV says something very similar, and we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. And when Paul says all things, he means bad things, and good things, and mediocre things, and any adjective you want to choose before the word things, that's what he's talking about. But oftentimes as Christians... We don't have this perspective. We can think that in some things, God can work it out for good. But do we really believe in all things? So, the title of my sermon today is simply the question, Who do you love? Who do you love? Let's take a minute just to acknowledge that. Take a minute just to let that sink in and ask yourself that question. Now, if you're on YouTube or if you're watching online, your couches in your home, 
maybe your bathrooms, whoever you are. What I'm going to ask you to do is take a minute and write in the comment section someone that you love and why you love them. And if you're here in person, what I want you to do is just find someone in your general proximity. Don't get too close, though, but get close enough where you can have a conversation and you can ask yourself the same question. Who is someone you love and why? So let's take one minute to have that conversation and we'll bring it back. Take one minute to have that conversation and we'll bring it back. All righty, all righty. Let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. Now, for those of you here in person, is anyone bold enough to share? Okay. Do you want to just yell it out from there? I love my children. Okay. Amen. All right. Let's yeah, a round of applause for that. That's great. Anyone else? Anyone else want to share? Sure. Okay. Oh wow. Okay. Now we're getting all over the place, man. I opened this thing up. So, you love your boyfriend, three kids, and you love your friend Mia. Friend Mia. Okay, let's get two kids, sorry. Two kids. Anyone else want to share? Anyone? One more thing. Who do you love and why do you love them? Who do you love? I love you. You love your mom. Why do you love your mom? She's a beast. I don't know exactly what that means, but it sounds positive. All right. So, we all know what it feels like to have something or someone that we love. And I remember um, asking this question. I preached a sermon in the Hill Air Force Base, and it's in Utah. And there's a really tough crowd. There are a bunch of people there, a bunch of airmen, and they're very, like, austere. So they come in, they're kind of tight. And I went to a service the week before, and I remember just feeling like this is the toughest crowd I'd ever had to speak to. And I remember that during the songs, no one's clapping. During the lesson, I, I get inspired by a point. I stand up, like, yeah, and then I, and I have to sit down because, like, oh, am, I, am I offending people around me? And I remember the ne- very next week I went to go preach, and I remember asking this same question. Who do you love? And then right, no one says anything. So I changed the question, and I said, do you love God? And there's this one lady. She stood up, and she starts clapping. And I was like... So I asked the question again because I didn't really know what to do. And then five people stood up and they start clapping. And I like, maybe the third time to try. I asked the question again and everyone in that auditorium stood up and started. They didn't even respond with words. But this idea of loving God resonated with them. More than any word, more than the best eloquated, eloquent sermon you could ever preach. The idea of loving God. God. And I love that scripture in Romans because it uses the word agape, which many of you know. And it's this type of love that's sacrificial. It's this type of love that's a commitment, meaning I'm going to give to you regardless of what you give back to me. Are we, are we going to clap this whole clap? Yeah, yeah, all right. We are following your cue today. Wow. And there's a quote by C.S. Lewis, which I love. And he says this. 
there is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will certainly be wrong and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up, safe it in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. I think every human being, whether you're a Christian, whether you think maybe I'm kind of a Christian, or whether you're not, understands this idea of love so deeply that to not have it would be like living in hell on earth. So I've got two thoughts today. I'm going to try to finish this as quickly as possible. I have two thoughts. My first thought is that bad things happen to godly people. Amen, right? Yeah, I know. That's a good thing. Bad things happen to godly people. And I know, I know, I grew up not wanting to think this, think about this or believe this. I wanted to believe that once I became a Christian and started following God, all the bad things would go away. Everything could just be easier. And what frustrated me the most is that the inverse is also true. Good things happen to ungodly people. It's like, how? Why? This doesn't make any sense. And many of you guys here, would you say you're a good person? If you, you know, raise your hand if you think, yeah. Like, it's funny, when I ask people, 99% of people will say, yes, I'm a good person. So don't, don't be shy. We all know what you're thinking. But it's the idea that in our society, that good, pe- that good people, nothing bad happens to them. Everything's going well. Their life is perfect. And if you're a Christian today, I want to debunk that notion. That is totally untrue. And I know that sounds discouraging, but I'm going to explain why if you give me a second. But first, I've got to start with talking about me. Can I be honest with you guys? This has been one of the roughest weeks I've had in a long time. I felt like Satan had attacked me spiritually, physically, emotionally. I woke up this morning. I didn't even want to get out of bed. I'm like, I have to go preach. (laughs) I don't want to preach. And then I talked to Val last night, who, she's my girlfriend, we're leading the campus, and she was sharing just about her testimony, and it broke my heart. Because this world is rough, guys. 
And this week was rough. Start off at the very beginning where I got really sick and my stomach was destroyed. And I remember throwing up like food poisoning. It was terrible. And then I remember supposed to turn in a video for service. And I turned in late and I was rushing and it wasn't very good. And I made our wonderful Scott Horton spend an extra three hours uploading it to YouTube. And then I was at the hospital giving clinical work to patients because I do that at, at the hospital. I go and see patients and I help guide them spiritually. And my computer wasn't working, so I get really frustrated. I'm like, why is this not working? Technology, you're killing me. So I start cursing under my breath and in my mind, just frustrated. I'm taking comprehensive exams for my grad program. I took one a few days ago, and it destroyed me. I did not do that well. Yesterday, two days ago, I was supposed to meet up with prayer time with a good friend, Catherine Pecos, and I set my alarm an hour later, so I woke up late. It felt terrible. This week, I felt like a complete loser. So then I started singing this song. <laughs> that I hadn't sung in a while, but you guys know that Bob Marley song, Three Little Birds? It's like, don't worry about a thing, do, 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 because every little thing is going to be all right, do, 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 do. You guys know that song? Can you sing with me? Don't worry, do, 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 about a thing, do, 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 because every little thing it's going to be all right. And it made me feel so much better. I don't know why, Bob Marley. You're amazing. You are wearing his pants. That's right. You know, I share that not because I'm proud or because I'm trying to win some kind of sympathy award. I share that because I know we can all relate. I know we had bad weeks. It just so happened to happen when... I was preaching. So I'm going to share it with you guys because I can't hold it. I can't restrict that. It would be inauthentic. And we can ask God questions like, why are you doing this to me? And it's so funny when things go well, God isn't really the first person I talk about. But when things go bad, oh, you better believe he's on the chopping block. He's the first person I think of. What about you? When things are going extremely well in your life, are you just jumping for joy and praising God? Or are you just saying, yeah, that's all me? Like another Drake song. I felt like this, if you see the, the picture on the slide, I'm not sure if it's still working. I just felt like I was on the ground, just saying, nope. Anxiety. Depression. Today we're going to take a look at the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is one of my heroes because as I read through what he experienced, what he went through, he's able to have an incredible mindset through the bad things because he believed that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So let's turn our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to get going here. I want to just give you a little bit of background information. Many scholars believe that this book was written as a 
consolation letter or a friendship letter. See, in the Roman society, there was this thing called status. And if you were better than someone, they would know about it. You know what I'm saying? Just think about the most cockiest person you know, and you all have that person in your mind. They make you know that you're less than them. So Paul, who planted churches around this area, planted the church of Philippi, and now he's in jail, and he's writing this letter. But he doesn't write it with letting them know that I'm better than you. It says he writes it as though he's an equal. This man who started these churches, who sacrificed his life, is writing as if he's equal with the people that he helped save. Another theory is that it's a consolation letter. And he's in so much pain and struggling, he just wanted the people that he helped become Christians to feel okay. It's like, it's alright, guys. Don't worry. It's still there. About a thing. So he's trying to get them to understand how much he cares for them. So the church supported him through jail, which was absolutely crazy at the time, because if you were associated at all with a convict, that ruined your life. No one would talk to you in society. People would look down on you just for having a friend who went to prison. Here it's actually kind of a cool thing in our culture. You got a friend who's in jail? Oh, cool, tell me more. Back then, it could ruin your entire life to be associated. But that's what the church did because Paul was family. So they were bringing him food and serving him, caring for him, and that is the context for which we're about to read. Philippians 1, verse 12. Let's read. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Wow. Can you imagine being in chains, in jail, while having the freedom of Christ in you? You know how limiting that must be? You know how much restrictive that could feel? You see, humility in this culture was a luxury. It was looked down upon. It was, dis- it was a disgrace to be humble. It was all about honor. It was all about having status. But Paul marvels at the fact that the Philippians, his friends, his family don't run away from him. And then he talks about how his struggle, his pain, the very bad thing that he's experiencing right now, was good? Was somehow a benefit? And he says three things that really stand out to me. One, confidence in the Lord. Confidence while being in jail. Confidence while being disgraced in chains. And he said, proclaim the gospel without fear. Wouldn't that be amazing? Just sit on that for a second. 
if each and every one of us had no fear when we talked about the gospel? Like, ever. What would it look like if you could go zoom into work and just announce to your whole company, hey guys, I'm a Christian, I love God, and I think that you can benefit from a relationship with them. <laughs> yeah, it would look a little bit weird, but it could work, it could work. And what would it look like for your students if you were to go in your class and log in and you privately message every single student and just tell them how excited you are for your time with God this week? You see, many of us are so fearful to proclaim the gospel that we make ourselves miserable. We're hurting. And this very real amazing thing, we quench it. When God is saying the whole time, it doesn't matter what situation you're in, you can make my name known. But are you so afraid of who you are and how I've made you? And the last thing he said, which I'll move on from here, is I am in chains for Christ. What an incredible attitude. I guarantee you, if I ever get arrested, I will not be saying I'm in cuffs for Christ. That is not my first thought. That will not be my second thought. Likely not my third thought. But yet this man clearly loves God more than his own situation. He learns to see God through his own pain and struggle. You know, in my sinful nature, I do not have this kind of love for God. Not even close. I'm a solid Los Angelino. I've been in the West Side since I was in sixth grade. I can be very critical. Things are never good enough. The glass is always half empty. That was not Paul's attitude. You know, as I grow older as a Christian, the more I see my need for help, and I really did think it was going to be the opposite, I thought I could be more reliant on myself. I wouldn't need as many people in my life. And Christians are supposed to be the most positive, loving, compassionate people in this world, and yet we're viewed as negative unloving, critical. And that's what people see in America. Why is that? I believe that it's because we have not trained our minds to take and grapple with this concept of in all things. In all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. Your love for God begins when you're dependent on all things ends. Our love for God begins when we start to throw away all the things that we think will give us a life of meaning and joy without God. So remember, I asked you the question, right? Are you sure you love God? I'm going to keep going. Don't worry. It gets better, I promise. In 1841, 20 years before the Civil War, there is this African-American male, 
And he was living up in upstate New York, Saratoga, New York. And he was an amazing musician. He had a wife and two kids, and they were just, they loved each other. But he was such a great musician that he'd go out and people would hire him. Violin was his, that was his best instrument. So you'd have all types of people, white people, black people, hiring him to play. And he was just amazing. One day there were these two circus performers that came to him. And they want him to tour. There are these two white males like, can you tour with us? We're going to pay you a lot of money. You could just come on tour for the circus. So the only caveat is that he had to leave his wife and his kids and leave Saratoga, New York, which was way above the Mason-Dixon line, and slowly travel down towards that line. And he knew the risk, right? Because the, 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 more you, the closer you get to that line, the closer you are about to get to, get to the south. And in 1841, you go to the south, you're a slave. But he said, I trust these men. If you read, I read his memoir. It's amazing. I trust these men. So he went down with them. He's performing. He's getting paid. And then this free African-American male finds himself in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. And in D.C., He was drugged, thrown into a cell of a slave pen, and shackled with chains. He woke up and looked like this, if you see the the graphic. Shackled, distraught, hurt, disillusioned, scared frustrated. This man's name was Solomon Northup. And he was subsequently sold into slavery in New Orleans, where he spent the next 12 years working as a slave, even though he was a free man. Can everyone just say injustice real quick? Can we say injustice real quick? I think sometimes we don't realize what true injustice actually looks like. And you, got, and you worked at this plantation, and in 2013, this director named Steve McQueen created this amazing movie called 12 Years a Slave, where he documented it, and he brought it to life, and showed us some of the injustice of what this man went through. I read through that memoir, guys, and I was crying. The detail the eloquence, but I will never forget what he says at the very end. We're going to read it together. You look at the slide. When the violence of our emotions have subsided to a sacred joy, when the household gathered round the fire that sat out its warm and crackling comfort through the room, We conversed of the thousand events that had occurred, the hopes and fears, the joys and sorrows, the trials and troubles we had each experienced during this long separation. They knew I was in bondage. He's talking about his family. I don't, I doubt not hundreds have been as unfortunate as myself, that hundreds of free citizens have been kidnapped and sold into slavery and are at this moment wearing out their lives on plantations in Texas 
and Louisiana. But I patiently restrained my impulse. Humbled and subdued in spirit by the sufferings I have received. And thankful to that good being. Through whose mercy I have been restored to happiness and liberty. Twelve years. Pain, suffering, anguish that he did not deserve. And his response was, I'm humbled. I'm subdued in spirit. I'm thankful to that good being. The man upstairs. I'm thankful to God through his mercy that I've been restored. And you know how he had this mindset. You know how he was able to captivate that. Because he thought that in all things, God can work. And he had been restored to his family. And it's a long, if you guys watch, how many of you guys have watched the movie before? If you haven't, you should watch it. Because it's an incredible ending. It doesn't negate his pain. It's not minimizing the struggle. But it's showing us that there is a way that we can respond. God has given us a solution to the pain in this world. Some questions to consider. What are you in bondage to? Does your suffering tend to bring you closer to God or push you further away from Him? What does it do? Does it help you get deeper and more intimate with Him? Or does it make you want to treat him less than what he truly deserves? We've got to grapple and understand these questions. If we're able to accept my second thought here, which I know is kind of depressing. But my second thought is that Jesus redeems bad things. I wasn't going to leave you guys there. Trust me. Jesus redeems bad things. And I know sometimes we say, I don't feel it. I don't feel like being humble. I don't feel like wanting to share my feelings and my frustrations and my weakness and whatever. But this is what Jesus says in Hebrews 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. And here's the kicker. Here's, you got to pay attention to this. you got to see this. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Church, can I just be a little bit more honest with you? Just a little bit more, not too much. Just a little bit more. I really believe that sometimes as a church we think that we're better than Jesus. We want to bypass the suffering. And we want to point fingers to blame other people for it. And yes, other people do cause suffering. They do cause pain. They do cause hurt. But Jesus chose to entrust himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus chose to get on his knees and pray connecting to the one, the only one that could save him from his pain, from the bad things that were going on. 
If you think about reverent submission, what? That blows my mind. Imagine those conversations in fellowship. Hey, how are you doing? Reverent submission is going quite well. How are you doing? Oh my gosh, you have no idea. But those aren't the conversations we're having. Learned obedience through what he suffered. What do you learn from what you suffer? I know I, my tendency is to teach myself never to suffer again. Are we even aware that God can work through the bad things in life? And here's the gospel, and we'll close here. Jesus Christ despised loneliness. He despised pain. He despised suffering, destruction, abuse, injustice. He despised it so much that he came into this world and experienced it all himself. So that he could show us that we don't have to be in bondage anymore. We don't have to be enslaved anymore with our thoughts, our feelings. Our suffering doesn't have to destroy us, but it can make us humble and bring us closer to him. In other words, the gospel tells us that if we decide to accept this incredible gift of grace, we can begin to have the mindset in which we can confidently say and proclaim, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And when we get to that place, and when that's the center of our heart, we not only proclaim the gospel ourselves, but other people look around, and they're inspired by our example. Well, they have no fear. They'll have no shame. They'll have no anger, but they'll be madly in love with God. But it all starts with this question. Who do you love? Do you love God? So in closing, don't worry about a thing. Do, 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 do. Cause every little thing is gonna be alright. Do, 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 do. Guys, I love you. And we're gonna spend some time doing something a little bit different. Usually the service will just end, but I have some discussion questions. I want us to spend time in fellowship just discussing this for the next few minutes. And the questions are as follows. Does your suffering tend to bring you closer to God or push you further away from Him? And then the next one is, what could reverent submission look like in your life? What could it look like if you got to that place? How would it change your day-to-day? And how could it inspire others? So let's take about five minutes to discuss that amongst yourselves, and then we'll cl- I'll close out with a prayer. But remember, in all things, can we say that here? In all things. One more time. In all things, God works for the good of those who love them. Amen. And let's close out with a prayer. Dear God, thank you so much for allowing us to be here. You're amazing and awesome, God. We love you. We're so grateful for you. As we close service today, I pray that we can be mindful of who you are and what you're doing through everything, even the things that we think you have nothing, you you have no part in, Lord. We know that you can work through everything. So I pray that we continue these conversations and we have an amazing time being able to show people your sacrificial agape love that you wanted us to share not only 
with you, but with everyone around us. I love you, and I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.